I've got a bit of an intro, Mick, before the Bible reading. Morning. Take this off. G'day, everyone. Good to see you there at home. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing quite well, and thank you so much for asking. I really appreciate that. Um, I think the main reason I'm doing quite well is due to my study of the Scriptures this week. I've spent a lot of time poring over Romans 13. And it's been of great benefit to me, and I really hope uh, it's of great benefit uh, to you this morning as well. It's by God's kind providence that we land in Romans 13 this morning. And Romans 13, 1 to 7, causes us to consider the relationship between the church and the government. At the beginning of this pandemic last year, with all the panic and uncertainty, it made perfect sense to everyone, for us as a nation, and as the world, to stop and assess this new threat. That made sense. Uh, So we shut down everything to have a think about what is this, how dangerous is it? Now, this time around during this lockdown, we know a lot more of what we're dealing with, and rightly so, we're beginning to ask questions about whether or not the government is doing the right thing enforcing lockdowns. Are they doing the right thing strongly advocating for vaccination and the like? We're beginning to think theologically about politics, which is good. We're beginning to say, we're going to ask, what does the Bible say? What would God have us think and say and do in relationship to the government? And I'm guessing that all of us roughly fall into one of three groups when it comes to thinking about how we as Christians ought to respond to the government. The first group are those who have really given no thought at all. They just kind of blindly glow with the flow. Whatever the government says must be right, let's do that. Uh, The second group of people, I think, are those who have given it some thought and are fairly satisfied with obeying the government with regards to COVID restrictions, whatever they are. And the third group of people are those who have potentially given it a lot of thought and have a high level of frustration with the government restrictions and are probably a coupled very high level of anxiety about what's going on at the moment. Now, I want to suggest today there's probably a probable error in all three groups. I'm squarely in the third group, and I've had to repent of my sin uh, this week, I should add, and I'll unpack that for us as we go. Now, I also want to say there's justification for being in any of those three groups. And I want to suggest a way forward uh, for us all, particularly in our thinking, no matter what group we're in, that is full of hope, full of Christ, and complete with a good but rudimentary, really, understanding of how we should think about the government as Christians and how we ought to respond. This morning, I liken myself to a physio or a speech pathologist or a occupational therapist, I'm going to prescribe some good thinking that is right. It's right there on the page uh, in front of you in Romans 13. I'm going to kind of show that to you and unpack it for you. I didn't think it up. It's been there for 2,000 years. But then I want you to all go away and reflect on it and think about it more and more and pray about it and put this thinking into practice uh, in your thinking and in your life. We as Christians have not had to think about political theology much at all because we've lived in the blissful ignorance of Australia. For the most part, Aussies have enjoyed a government that has maintained good order and left the church alone to do its thing. Well, I can tell you that those days are over and as responsible followers of Jesus and citizens of Australia, we need to start to think hard about politics, about government, 
so that we know how best to obey Jesus under our government. We don't need to be obsessed with politics. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time thinking about politics, which will be a welcome news to many people who don't like thinking about politics. But we do need interest in and a basic understanding of politics so that we can think rightly and act rightly as Christian people in this country. After this sermon, my hope and prayer is that you've made the first few steps down the road of understanding political theology, if you haven't done so before, that you've been compelled to respect and honour our government and compelled to repent where you've disrespected them. I pray you've been compelled to pray for our government diligently and I hope and pray you'll have a much higher level of conscience, conscious peace of mind in thinking about the government and in being in our situation at the moment. Not a peace that comes from ignorance, not ignorant bliss, <clears throat> a peace that comes from the knowledge that comes from God's word, which is what I found this week. My hope is also you'll have a well-informed and conscious vigilance and thoughtfulness about a proper Christian response to government. When to obey, when to obey but peaceably object, and when to peaceably disobey. It's all an important and timely topic for us to tackle today, and I'm going to pray now that God will help us, and then we'll read God's word. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you that you are in control of all things. God, you are sovereign, you rule, you are over all things, over the government, over us. We thank you for that truth and we find peace in that truth. And right now, God, we pray for the kids to be calm and to have space. We pray for our minds to be calm, for our Bibles to be open, that we might think clearly about your word. We pray you work in us by your Holy Spirit to understand the role of government and understand a Christian response to government so that we might act wisely and we might act godly uh, going forward as followers of Jesus. Help us to work together as a church across uh, our parish and across our diocese uh, to respond rightly to the government. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll open up your Bibles and I'm going to start our reading uh, at Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. And the reason is I want us to have uh, see the context afresh uh, for our passage of Romans 13, 1 to 7. And I'm going to read through to Romans 13, 10. So Romans 12, 17 uh, says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. <coughs> so please keep your Bibles open there to Romans chapter 13. And you can see that the context for Paul's teaching on government is the call to obey God by loving others. This is our spiritual act of worship. Worship equals living the Christ-like life in all aspects of life. Firstly, loving others in the church, Romans 12, 1 to 13. Secondly, loving others in the world, Romans 12, 14 to 21. And thirdly, loving those who serve in our government, Romans 13, 1 to 7. The dominant teaching for Paul here in this passage is clearly love of others. We read those few extra verses today to reveal Paul's dominant teaching and to give us really helpful context uh, for 13, 1 to 7. See there in 12.17, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I wonder if our view of the government is just the same as our culture or if it's biblically informed. I remember critical comments, comics of John Howard and other prime ministers in the past in the newspaper when I was a kid. Do we see the government as pure evil who must be opposed no matter what? Or as Christians, do we think differently? Also in verse 17, it says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. How will our response as a church and individually as Christians to the government be seen in the eyes of other churches, be seen in the eyes of other denominations, be seen in the eyes of the world around us, the pagan world? Put negatively, will our actions, will our response to the government dishonour Christ and actually bring the gospel into disrepute? It's a genuine question. Verse 18, live at peace with everyone. Are we stirring up trouble and divisions on social media lately or in our social circles? Is it, it is one thing, it is one with, it is one thing, sorry. Uh, it is one thing to lovingly, respectfully question the government. It's another entirely to cause division. In verse 19 of chapter 12, it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Have the government restrictions incited you to wrath? Or are you leaving room for God's just judgment and wrath? Finally, in chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Love does no harm to its neighbour. Love is the fulfilment of the law. Is our primary focus as followers of Jesus in response to the government and in conversations about the government a position of love? Is our default position as Christians... 
love towards our church, love towards our community and love towards our government. Is that our primary mode uh, of operation? It ought to be. Okay, so this is the context for the passage. And as we together consider those questions, you may have other questions. And as Jono said, please be sure to text your questions to the number on the screen as we go. Let's look again, uh, chapter 13, 13, uh, verse 1. And I'm going to read just the first little bit. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject to or submit to the governing authorities. Every English translation from the NIV to the King James says either be subject to or submit to uh, the governing authorities. It's the translation of the Greek word hupotasso. I don't normally do the Greek thing in my sermons, but there we go. The word is hupotasso, and, and across the board, it means subject to or, be, or submit to, but it's not the same word as obey. It's not saying blind obedience. There are three words used for obey in the New Testament, then this is not one of them. Hupotasso is not one of them. Uh, This word, hupotasso, is used 30 times in the New Testament and the idea of of obedience is not prevalent in any of the teaching. Be subject to or submit is voluntary and conditional upon the one we're submitting to not leading us into sin. In 1 Corinthians 16, 16, Paul instructs the Lord's people to submit to their leaders who are good and loving leaders. In Ephesians 5, 21, Paul instructs all of the Lord's people to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's, not, it's certainly not calling church members to blind obedience to one another. In particular, a particular reference is made to wives in Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18. Wives submit to your husbands. Again, not a call to blind obedience, but voluntary and loving service of the other. The same teaching to willingly and voluntarily subject ourselves to the ruling authorities is also found in chapter 2 of Peter's first letter, verse 13. Now, as in Romans 12.10, our priority as followers of Jesus is not ourselves. We don't assert ourselves and our own rights. Our priority is a loving service of others. We submit to one another in church, to everyone, verse 18, and to the government Chapter 13, verse 1. Be subject to others. It means to value others above ourselves. That much is clear in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 3. Do we see the government as pure evil who must be opposed by all, including us no matter what? Especially if we voted for the other party. Well, the Bible tells us the government is of God. And we are to subject ourselves to the government. And remember, the government is not a faceless machine. It's a group of people. Our country is led by a man, Scott Morrison. He has a face, a heart, a body, a name, a family. Regardless of your political leanings, whether they're blue, red, green, or purple with pink polka dots, if you're a follower of Jesus, then subject yourself to Prime Minister Morrison. Our state is led by a woman, Gladys Berejiklian. She has a face, a heart, a body, a name, a family. Regardless of your political leanings, whether they're blue, red, green, or orange with yellow stripes, if you're a follower of Jesus, subject yourself to Premier Berejiklian. Do your very best to serve them. Christians ought to endeavour to be the very best citizens, to gladly pay tax, more on that in a minute, to joyfully obey the law, to wholeheartedly support our members of parliament, our law enforcement agents, 
of whom we have several in our church. Praise God for them. Our politicians ought to be thankful they have Christians in their electorate for we're peaceable and law-abiding. They might not understand why we're so peaceable and law-abiding, but that's irrelevant. We serve the Lord Jesus, we know that, and they ought to be thankful that we're here. Are you doing your level best to be the best citizen you can be by lovingly subjecting yourself to the governing authorities put in place by God? Which brings us to our second point, why we subject ourselves, is given to us by Paul. Why should we submit to the government? Well, Paul gives one reason. The government's been put there by God. And there's three parts to that reason I'll get to in a moment. The government's been put there by God. In subjecting ourselves to the government, we're subjecting ourselves to God. All world governments, <coughs> including ours, only have the power that they do because it's been given to them by God. For Paul, it was a tyrannical emperor, Nero. There's no power in and of itself. All power comes from God, is delegated from him. God's appointed them. He's assigned them their place. The government and law and authorities are ordained by God. This is not new teaching. Every Jew knew this from the Old Testament. Right back to Genesis chapter 9 is the verse teaching of this. Verse 6 reads, it's on the screen. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. There's a God-ordained governing authority at work there right from the beginning. And this continues to be the case in the New Testament. Again in, chapter, again in Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 6. Now I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. Jews knew that the power and authority of the government comes from God. They've known that from the Old Testament, that teaching continues into the New Testament. There's a continuity of teaching between the Old Testament and the New Testament and anyone who says that Christianity does away with the Old Testament, is just flat out wrong. There's a continuity between the old and the new. So the reason we're subject to the government, and it's always been the reason, is because they've been put in place by God. Now Paul gives us three reasons why we should subject and not resist. Firstly, to resist the government is to resist the very ordinance of God. Government, governments exist, friends, to bring order to the world, not disorder. God is a God of order. In creation, he made order out of chaos. He puts governments in place to bring order to countries, to resist and subdue and withhold and punish evil, to withhold, subdue anarchy and create peace, to create order so that people can flourish as best they can in their lives, whether they be Christian, Hindu, Muslim, or uh, non-believing atheists. There's order and space for them to live their lives. Interestingly, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's preached seven 50-minute sermons on this section of Scripture, which I highly commend, points out that Emperor Nero was a tyrant but he also brought an end to the civil war. And despite the fact that Nero was a tyrant, Dr. Jones would say, and I agree, tyranny is better than anarchy and chaos. To resist government is to resist what God has ordained. 
To take arms against the government is most definitely anarchy. Civil disobedience for personal reasons can even be a form of anarchy. Civil disobedience has its place, but we must be very, very slow to get there and ensure we do it in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ and ensure that we've exhausted every other option first. And I have more to say about that in just a little while. There's no particular system of government that's held out to us in the Scriptures as the very best form. Look across the world, there's all different forms, all put in place by God. There's pros and cons to every form, but there's no Christian system of government held out to us in the Scriptures. Whatever the form of government, is God who raises them up, and when he sees fit, it is God who brings them down, as he most certainly did with the Roman Empire. Across the book of Romans, we see a God who is sovereign over all. Now, some may want to argue that God isn't sovereign in certain areas or certain countries. He's clearly not sovereign in China or North Korea or with their communist regimes or, or parts of the Middle East who are very, very Muslim in their, in their worship. Or, um, what about the Western world? He's clearly not sovereign in places like, say, Australia, where... It's incredibly materialistic and individualistic and increasingly socialist and willing to and eager to un murder unborn babies and now also the elderly and psychologically vulnerable under the guise of assisted suicide. How can God be the ruler when the rulers are so corrupt? Well, we can say there's much mystery within his sovereign rule, but we can't say his rule is absent anywhere. And that's a comfort. To say his rule is absent is to say less than what the scriptures say. World leaders come and go according to God's purposes within the world, but God remains sovereign over them all. Whew, that's a relief. God is in control. Sometimes God gives authority as a blessing to mankind or as a means of trial to mankind. How are we to know? We have to be careful not to try to interpret God's sovereignty based on a moment in history, based on the fact that the one we wanted won, God must be for us, or the, 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 the party we wanted lost, God must be against us. In that case, half of Americans voted for Biden would say God is for them, and the half who voted for Trump would say God is against them. We must be careful not to say more than we think we can know. And we can know very little about what God's doing in our world. And we must be very cautious about opposing what God has instituted because it is God that has instituted it. Secondly, they who resist the government receive judgment. This is pretty clear. Who judges? Well, God ultimately, but he uses earthly powers to bring about judgment and punishment against those who resist. Certainly, ultimate justice will be found on Judgment Day when all rise and face our glorious Saviour and judge the Lord Jesus, and we're thankful for that justice that is to come. Rulers are not against us if we do what is good and do not oppose them. Not once but twice in 13.4, uh, the government is described as a servant, which literally means a minister. Uh, let me read chapter 13 for you again. Starting at verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, 
Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Do what is right, you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Servant, it means minister or deacon. Ministers in churches are deacons, they're servants. And all of us ministers would do well to remember that, that we're here to serve. And I've met no greater role model of servant-heartedness than our senior servant, Jono. And I'm thankful for his leadership in servant-heartedness in our parish. You can tell a servant is a servant by his or her activity, by their servant-heartedness. The government exists to serve the people, protect, provide for the people. A good government is not self-serving. A good government's there to serve others. But please remember, our governments are comprised of 100% sinners. Every single person in the government is a sinner. And before we're too quick to point fingers at our politicians for being self-serving, which they ought not to be, don't get me wrong, let's first take a look in the mirror and make sure we're perfectly selfless before we throw stones at those who are selfish. Governments are there to serve, and the sword is a symbol of authority of magistrates. It's a symbol even to inflict capital punishment back in the day. One of the primary roles of government is to withhold evil, and they will use force if necessary. In our country, those types of force are forcible arrest, uh, the use of tasers, the use of capsicum spray, the use of firearms uh, to withhold evil, and imprisonment are used to withhold evil in our country. And for that, I say, praise God, you're doing a great job. Thank you, law enforcement agents, for withholding evil in our land. The government is a minister of good for those who do good, but also to execute wrath if you do evil. Thirdly, be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. This is really important for us as Christians. As Christians, we have an understanding that God ultimately is in control. Let me read verse 5 for you before I move on. It's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter uh, of conscience. We know that God's in control. You know in your heart of hearts that if you're going against the government, you're going against what God has instituted, and you know that your fellow believers know this too. You know that we're supposed to be subject to the state, that the Christian is always to be a good and peaceable citizen the best citizen in the country, a better man or woman than anybody else, that our uh, politicians are thankful that we're here. It's a matter of our conscience as Christians. To defy the government is a, is a, for the Christian is a matter of conscience. The non-Christian motivation for observing the law is punishment avoidance. Fear alone makes them avoid uh, opposing the government. The Christian knows that he serves the government, he serves God, she serves God. The Christian alone understands the need for the state because we understand sin. We know that without the government there would be anarchy because we understand that people are sinful, us included. We know that without God-given governments there would be chaos. Teachers, what happens in your classroom when you walk out of the room for three minutes 
and leave them alone and then you come back in. I remember, I used to be a student. Anarchy is what happens very, very quickly. We understand sin. Because we understand sin, we know that those who run our country are also sinful and so we're thankful for them, but we don't expect too much from them if we're wise. Friends, I think we're often unwise. I think we expect way, way, way too much of our government, and so we're perpetually disappointed. We place far too much trust in our fallen government and far too little in God who rules over our government. He has this all in hand. The Christians never to expect too much from the state. Never get too excited about the state or about politics. He or she is to be interested, learned, understanding, but not particularly excited about one political party or the other. This was the era of the French Revolution, thinking that human governments could save them, could win the day. They were wrong. It will never be the case. Human governments are human. They're fallen. They're sinful. Ultimately, it's only the Lord Jesus who can save us. In Dr. Jones's opinion, the main function of the state is simply to limit evil. And the manifestations of evil, he would say, the state can do very little positive good. Now, as promised, when then is the time for civil disobedience? Well... The state must never tyrannise over our conscience, as they tried to do to Martin Luther, saying to him, you must recant of everything you've said. And he said, I cannot do that. I believe in Jesus. I cannot say I don't, because I do. When the state asks me to do something against my conscience, we refuse, but just be sure first that your conscience is correct and that you're not eager and happily willing to divide from other brothers and sisters over this matter of conscience. If the state tries to stop you proclaiming Jesus as Lord, we of course refuse, as Martin Luther did. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles deliberately disobeyed the government. When they were told not to preach, they were in prison for it, they were flogged for it, and they went back out and continued to preach. That's a matter of conscience. As Christians, we cannot say we don't trust in Jesus and we will not pro stop proclaiming him as Lord and Saviour. Daniel was told he must pray only to King Darius and, of course, he refused and was thrown into the lion's den and God saved him, as we know, for which King Darius was thankful. Friends, our state government is not asking us to do any such thing at this point in time. Down the track, maybe? Maybe. Right now? No. COVID restrictions are frustrating. And at the moment, they're a blanket rule for all places of public worship and all places, all indoor places where people gather, not just ours. More important than civil disobedience is church unity. It would have to be an absolute last resort for our diocese to rebel against the government, let alone our little church rebel against the diocese and the government on this matter. Ultimately, they're not instilling a law against preaching or praying or anything like that. They're acting in what they see is best for all of the citizens of Sydney with this current lockdown and indeed the country. 
Has our government got it spot on with the restrictions? I have no idea and neither do you. How can we possibly know? Only God can possibly know if it's spot on with the restrictions and the timing, the masks and everything. I think telling us not to sing in church is rough. Even with masks on, I think it's, you know, I think it's safe from what I know, which isn't much. Uh, in Queensland and Victoria, they're allowed to sing uh, with masks on, but in New South Wales, we're not. Now, you should know that our church, our diocese, has peacefully objected to this restriction and said, hang on a minute, we don't think this is right. Look at these two states above and below, to which New South Wales has come back, considered our objection and said, no, we still want you not to sing in church and we are subjecting to that. Is it right? I don't know. Possibly not. But we're submitting to our government shoulder to shoulder as Christians across the diocese and shoulder to shoulder with other Protestant faiths uh, in Sydney. We've decided this is not the hill to die on. In the matter of check-in, masks, singing in the lockdown, we've willing and lovingly decided to subject ourselves to the government as to the Lord. And our hope is that we'll be commended for it by our government and citizens around us, that it may open up greater opportunities for gospel proclamation down the track. Conversely, if we were to dig in our heels against the government now, over masks or singing, break fellowship with other Protestant faiths. We would bring the gospel into disrepute in our city. And ultimately we could end up with a worst-case scenario of creating a hotspot in one of our churches and then really bring the gospel into disrepute. It is no stretch of the imagination to say that we would most definitely cause trouble for the gospel and severely limit our gospel opportunities going forward if we were to stay open <clears throat> against the government's orders and then create a hotspot uh, for COVID. When a person says they're going to believe in his or her conscience, no matter what other people say, that's anarchy. That's lawlessness. The gospel, the, the Bible, has called us to live in community. That is the will of God, to act in community with our brothers and sisters, to consider the community uh, that we live in around us. If every person said, I'm only going to do what I think is right all of the time, that's anarchy. Community becomes impossible. Out of love for our church, our community and our government, as commanded here in Romans 12 and 13, we seek to live peaceably as much as we possibly can. Bear in mind too that Christian, the Christian is not to suffer grievance or grievous injustice. He or she has rights as a citizen to invoke the law to come to his or her defence, as the Apostle Paul did in Acts, under his rights as a Roman citizen. The government, for the most part, is on our side. Therefore, our protection, and that is good, and I am thankful for our government. And this is why we pay taxes. Look at verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. There it is again. For their full-time who give their time, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. <coughs> now, if the government is given to us by God, then we ought to pay tax. And it makes sense that we pay tax. We actually owe a debt uh, to our government 
Our taxes are a debt uh, that we owe uh, to keep them running under God for our own good. And again, the government is described here using the word servant, but this time the Greek word's different. Uh, it's closer to the word priest. If you're interested, liturgoi in place of diakonos, it's, it's much closer to the word priest here, the word uh, servant for describing our government. It's the same word that describes Jesus in Hebrews chapter 8 on the screen. The main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Um, <coughs> this word servant refers to one who carries out a divinely ordained service comparable to the priests in the temple. It's incredible. When you pay tax, you pay a debt, you pay back something to, you pay back something which you owe. It's a moral obligation under God to support our government and why would we go against uh, what we're funding? In verse 7, tax refers to direct tax and revenue and revenues indirect tax. Hopefully you learned about that in U10 Commerce. In verse 7, we're called to respect and honour our government to speak well about them, to speak politely and respectfully to them should we ever be speaking to a politician. We have no fear of the government, for we do what is right as believers. We fear God. Peter is clear about that in 1 Peter 2 verse 17. Fear God, honour the king. Jesus himself tells us in Luke chapter 12 verse 4, Be not afraid of them that kill the body. Fear him which after he's killed has power to cast into hell. We do not fear our governments, we do fear and respect God. Friends, let me conclude before I make a few points of application, then I'll take questions. Ultimately, we all want leadership that will bring about real, lasting and permanent change, don't we? That's what we all want. That's what we all hope for uh, every election, a government that will bring about real, lasting and permanent change. That's our hope. And every election, we're disappointed. The reason is our governments are run by fallen sinners, most of whom do not have a saviour, who need to hear about Jesus. The only leader we can bring about real, lasting and permanent change is God. The Bible, the whole Bible is a story of God who wants to repair a broken world because we as human beings have rejected him, made ourselves little gods and made a mess of things. The Bible is a story about God's plan to fix the mess centred on Jesus. The ultimate answer to the COVID problem is Jesus. Should we vaccinate? Should we not? Should we enter civil disobedience? Should we not? Whatever we decide needs to be thoughtful and prayerful out of obedience to Christ. But ultimately, we know that Jesus will win the day. He already did at the cross. Jesus will keep his promises to keep us, to take us into heaven, to be with him forevermore. And that's a comfort to us. And it's fascinating to note and to study that it was through subjection to untrust treatment before a wicked and spineless magistrate in Pontius Pilate that Jesus prevailed. Reconciliation between God and man, which, create, which dealt with sin, which dealt with death, which defeated the devil, this happened through submission to a wicked state. God has everything in hand. There is a real peace and joy to be found in knowing that first and foremost. God has all of this 
in hand. Our government, our lockdown, all of it is in the loving, powerful, wise, just hands of God. But we still need to think well and rightly about our government theologically. We need to get into political theology just a bit. We all need to learn to think Christianly about government. We've lived in a blissful bubble for decades now in Australia where governments largely left Christians alone, but that has changed. We're called to be subject to our government, love our government. But like Daniel, like the apostles, we need to be ready for the day when our government genuinely asks us to do something that contradicts the commands of God. And we must be ready together to make a stand against it, no matter the consequences. Friends, right on our doorsteps now is euthanasia. Governments in Australia are now legalising euthanasia. Western Australia and South Australia are well on the way. It's coming to New South Wales soon. We must not sit idly by as Christians who know that euthanasia is wrong and do nothing. We must speak up. We must understand theologically why euthanasia is an abomination, that we might lovingly, knowingly protest against it peaceably to our governments. It's not godly to distrust God and panic, nor is it godly to be complacent and do nothing. Our community, our country desperately needs the gospel. What a tragedy it would be if we as Christians think COVID is the biggest issue in our country that we're facing or that we're facing. It's not. If Jesus is the ruler... He's going to bring about his kingdom into this world. Where do we stand? Where do our neighbours stand? Where do our colleagues at work stand? Where do our families stand? Where do you stand? Are you with Jesus or are you against him? Where do our local members stand? Do they need to hear the gospel? Do our politicians, our local politicians, need to hear the gospel from us? The Lord Jesus is Lord of all who bow the knee and he is a wrathful judge of all who don't bow the knee and currently stand to face his just and terrible judgment. Our number one priority now, as always, is the proclamation of the gospel. Our government cannot save our country, but Jesus can. Friends, three points of application. Firstly, Are you submitting yourself in love to your government? Are your conversations about the government with others reflective of a heart of charity, kindness and godliness? If not, like me, you need to repent. If you're struggling with your government, are you firstly talking to God about it more than anyone else? Secondly, have you respectfully protested or at least questioned the decisions being made to your member of parliament? You can, you know. You couldn't in the 16th century. You can't in China. You can here. Feel free to question Peter Sidgraves, the state member for Camden, or Greg Warren for Campbelltown. Mike Freeland is the federal member for Campbelltown. Gregor Hills, New Ellen. Uh, once you get past Camden, it's Angus Taylor, an electorate of Hume. You can email them whenever you like. They'll probably take a meeting if you want. Peter responded to me quite quickly when I sent him an email not long ago questioning things. Secondly, are you praying for your government diligently, especially now 
during this COVID pandemic when they're making impossible decisions on a daily basis. We're commanded in 1 Timothy 2, I urge that prayers and petitions be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. It's easy to sit on the couch with a bag of chips or sit on your keyboard whinging away about our government, but the godly thing to do is to pray, to pray for them, encourage them. Email your local member and thank them for all the good that's happening in the southwest of Sydney. The Camden local government area is the fastest growing LGA in Australia. They need prayer and encouragement. Be the best citizen. Be worthy of commendation, friends. Help your politicians to be thankful that our church is here. Thirdly, trust God a lot and the government just a little bit. And I don't mean that mean-spiritedly. I mean that realistically. It's a big country. There's lots of people from all different walks of life. It's incredibly complicated and they're just finite sinners like you and me doing their best. They're just people. I wonder if you expect as much from yourself as you do from your government. Friends, I think we could all do with refocusing on our job at hand, which is the preaching of the gospel in all the world. Modern technology means that even during lockdown, we're not limited from preaching the gospel. We can get on social media and spread the gospel at the touch of a button. We can send emails, make phone calls and encourage people and preach the gospel easily from our lounge room. Have you got more time at the moment to study God's word and to pray? Perhaps you do. Are you using it? Or are you binging something on Netflix? I had no meetings this week, which meant I read sections of a dozen books, listened to around a dozen sermons. Frankly, it's a miracle I kept this sermon down to under an hour, even though you might be starting to get pretty tired now. Our Lord is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Don't be afraid about our restrictions or lockdowns. Don't be overly frustrated. They're in the hands of our good and loving God. We have a wonderful church full of brothers and sisters whom we can call and encourage and text and be encouraged by. Nothing can hold the gospel back if we remain true to our Lord. What a positive impact our diocese of 55,000 people could make if we all started praying diligently for our government. Prayer is powerful. If we all started encouraging them on social media instead of beating them up, if we all started sending them email after email of encouragement about the good they are doing, what a difference, what a positive impact we as Christians could make on our government. Lovingly question decisions when it's right to do so, but gee, I tell you what, make sure you've sent three or four emails of encouragement first. Make sure that email that you've sent is full of encouragement and praise and compliment as you question lovingly and peaceably the decisions you disagree with. And make sure that together, our main focus as followers of Jesus is that of Christian love, one for the other, for our church, for our community, and for our government. Friends, please join me as I pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you again that you are sovereign. You are almighty you are in total control of the whole world, of Australia, of our neck of the woods, of our parish, of our government. Lord, you rule. And Lord, we are thankful that you're in control and that you are good. God, please bless our government with immense wisdom at this time. Please give our leaders, Scott Morrison, Gladys Berejikli, and our local uh, MPs all enormous and immense wisdom as they work out to lead our country through uh, the COVID pandemic. 
Lord, we pray against uh, their acts of evil. We pray against uh, the legalization of abortion. Lord, we pray against euthanasia, that this will not come into law. Lord, we pray that you will move our governments to make decisions in line with your will. Most of all, Lord, we pray for ourselves that we'll be lovingly subject to our governments. That before we poke the figure and point at their selfishness, we, we note our own selfishness and we repent. Before we discourage and criticise, we encourage and praise and commend our governments for the good that they do. Help us to be loving and peaceable servants and citizens, we pray for your sake. Amen. Thank you, Gav. That uh, was fantastic. The, uh, and thank you to everyone who has been texting in questions. With the, uh, the phones have been running hot. So uh, let, um, let's switch now to a question time. And uh, we'll start off with... Uh, yeah, there's been lots of questions, so thank you, thank you all for um, sending them in. You can still send questions in. Um, let's start off with with this one. Gav, can you can you think of a scenario where, as a Christian, you'd certainly defy the government? How would you do do that, and what would it look like? Yeah, I mean, I think if our if our government started to sing, oh, there's lots of scenarios, but I think if our government started to single out Christianity uh, as being uh, not allowed. Uh, in our in our state, if the preaching of the gospel was uh, was forbidden, as it's, as it is in many places in the world, uh, as it is in uh, China and lots of other parts of the world, much of places pa- parts of Pakistan, uh, gathering for church is not allowed. It's just dangerous. So times like that, uh, I would think certainly we would defy the government. We would we would meet in secret. Uh, we would continue to preach the gospel. We would do it as safely as possibly uh, as we could. Uh, Captive in Iran is an incredible story, if you ever want to read that book, uh, of two Christian women in Iran who, who went around at night in the snow uh, delivering new te- gospels into people's letterboxes uh, in defiance of the government. They continued uh, to preach the gospel when the government had said stop. So that's one example. Um, but again, they do that you know, shoulder to shoulder with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another one here. Um, now, I think this question came through before you mentioned it, but you might want to say some more on it. Um, are there any examples of Jesus obeying the gov- governing authorities or conversely engaging in civil disruption? Um, yeah, I mean, the uh, obviously the money changes in the temple is... Oh, that's not against the government. That's, uh, that's, against, that's against money changes. Sorry. There's an interesting... Um, I now can't remember. It's Matthew. Have you been and John can help me? Um, it came up through the week, Matthew 12 or 17, um, when uh, the temple tax, he explains that the temple tax uh, shouldn't be, it shouldn't rightly be paid, but he instructs his disciples to pay it anyway. Uh, he knows um, that it's, it, it's not wrong, but he's willing to submit uh, to, the, to the governing authorities anyway, 
What was the question? Is there a time when he defies the governing authorities? Yeah, engages in civil disruption. I can't think of a time Jesus engages in civil disruption. He, I mean, he opposes uh, the Pharisees. On many occasions, he never, he never speaks against the Roman authorities that I can think of at any time. And, I mean, you could think of uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, yeah. God's what is God's. So yeah. he, he submits to the governing authorities. In that As context. to God. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Matthew 17 is a really, what verses? Yeah, Matthew seventeen twenty four. Really interesting uh, story where uh, he, yeah, the temple tax. He he explains that it shouldn't be paid, but then instructs the <laughs> disciples to pay it anyway. So you may not cause offence. There you go. Is a not a question, but a comment. As Gav was preaching, I was reminded of Judges twenty one verse twenty five of a dark time in Israel's history when quote everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Unquote. We ought not. To be people like that. Mm. That's true. Um, another one. If the government actively persecuted Christians and Christians get caught disobeying them, is it wrong to try and avoid punishment and run away without denouncing Christ? Or should we be obedient about it and graciously bear it? I think we should be obedient about it and graciously bear it. Absolutely. I think uh, if the time came where uh, we... Uh, weren't allowed to run church and were running house churches in secret and we got discovered uh, and the police came in, I would willingly be arrested, peaceably be arrested. Yeah. Uh, another one, if we all lived 50 years ago without internet and live streaming and mobile phones, yeah. would our response be different? What would happen to the church if for months on end there was no contact and no means to show love and encouragement to each other? I guess it's a, it's an interesting question to consider historically. What have has yeah. the church done in in different times, perhaps times without internet, live streaming, mobile phones? Yeah, I think the principle remains the same. I mean, it, it is interesting to think about historically because I mean, in 16th century England, uh, during the plague, the Queen instructed churches to meet more frequently to pray. <laughs> um, they were instructed not that to close down big churches. Um, but the small churches were instructed to meet more frequently uh, to dedicate to prayer. So the state ordered more prayer <laughs> in the 16th century. In the providence of God, I don't know that we've had uh, a situation uh, where yeah, I, that I know of. Um, the answer is the principle is the same. Uh, we still uh, we're, we're thankful for modern technology that we can continue to preach the gospel. But if it didn't exist, we wouldn't say, well, therefore, uh, we should... Um, act, we should go into civil disobedience or anything like that. I think the principle remains the same, that unless it's absolutely called for, unless it's a, it's a clear call to sin, um, we remain peaceable and do our best to preach the gospel any way we can. Well, mail still existed 50 years ago. You could write letters. Yep. <laughs> yep. Thanks, Gavin. And thank you to this person who's, who sent this question. I love the um, uh, what sits behind it is the is feeling the fact that we can't, meet together and show love and encouragement and that that's what we ought to do is to show love and encouragement to one another they add with a second message as a comment my son told me this morning verbatim quote i don't want to watch church i want to go to church <laughs> yeah me too me too absolutely yeah um all right uh we've probably got time for a few more um someone okay here's uh 
done that one, sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh dear, where have I gone? Um, all right. Uh, hey, Gavin, the government is urging all people to be vaccinated. Some Christians are refusing. Is that loving? You want to wade into this, <laughs> oh, this particularly. Trippy, tricky topic of vaccination? Um, uh, while you're thinking about it, <laughs> I'll, I've had a little bit more time to, um, to, uh, to think about this one. Um, I, I uh, had my first COVID um, vaccination last Thursday. Um, I, I figure I've been vaccinated against all sorts of things and a lot of public good has come through through vaccinations and uh, I'm not in a position to to be the medical expert to weigh everything up and so there's an element in which I'm trusting the God-given authorities who have been put in place to to make those decisions and uh, I trust myself to God's sovereignty in uh, in doing what I think and what I'm told is is something that will be for the, the love of, of other people and for the public public good in that way so there's my thinking as limited as it is on it. Got anything to add to that, Gaff? Uh, it's going to be a terribly uh, unsatisfactory answer. What's definitely been ungodly is people uh, criticising other people um, and uh, people who say we shouldn't be getting vaccinated because we don't know enough about it and it's dangerous, criticising people who are saying, oh, they're, they're fools and blind. People who are getting vaccinated criticising people who are concerned um, and labelling them anti-vaxxers, um, which isn't right uh, either. I think it's it's good and right and understandable to to have concerns, but then the next thing to do is to to lovingly do your investigation, do your homework uh, on the vaccination, talk to your GP, um, and then and do what's best uh, according to your Christian conscience uh, on the matter. Like I said, it wasn't going to be satisfactory. Um, there's a question here. If um, and this is sort of wading into the whole. God is uh, is appointed governing authorities, um, and yet, if they're not godly, how does how does that work? If God has put leaders in their positions, why have um, and there's a, a Freemason theme here? Why have the, have ten Australian prime ministers been Freemasons? Bob Hawke been ranked amongst the highest. One third of American presidents have been Freemasons, and many of the leaders around the world are ranked Freemasons. Is this God's work, or is it Satan doing his work? Uh, and then added to that was Satan's reign. Uh, sorry, was Hitler's reign part of God's way to punish the Jews? Um, I definitely wouldn't say that. Um, well, God is sovereign over all the governments. I mean, God gives power and God takes power away, and that includes uh, great leaders, and that includes wicked leaders, and every single leader is a sinner uh, at the end of the day. Um, in the sense that, I mean, yeah, I mean, Nazi Germany is certainly an, a fascinating case study in leadership and it, was, it would have been a, a diabolically difficult time uh, for Christians and Bonhoeffer's worth uh, investigating. But it is God ultimately who's, who's in control. He puts governments in place. <clears throat> As followers of Jesus, we do our best to subject uh, ourselves to them. Um, whether they're wicked or evil or Freemason, uh, or Hitler, ultimately God is still in control and God uh, in his sovereignty is working about his good uh, even through evil. Gav, um, someone asks, does this mean I should take down the picture I have of Scott Morrison in my house? <laughs> <laughs> no, necessarily. 
I'm, I'd like to know why you have yeah, a picture of Scott yeah. Morris in your house, but yeah. Um, it's not on the dartboard, I hope. Yeah, well, yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but no. it crossed my mind. Um, uh, no, not necessarily. The, the, I mean, if <laughs> we, sh- we ought not place too much trust, uh, uh, too much faith in our government, nor uh, too much hatred. We, we respect and honour. And I think it's really important to understand that word, be subject to, uh, submit to. It's the same uh, for wives. There is a, there is a, there is a voluntary, uh, willing service and love uh, one for the other, not, uh, not a blind obedience uh, either way and, and, not, a, and not, a blind, not a blind trust or distrust uh, of our governments. Uh, we, we think hard, we, we work hard to to think rightly about what's the best way to act as Christian individuals and as a church in response to our governments. We don't put too much hope uh, or trust in our governments, um, but rather, as Christians, we seek to support uh, and encourage our governments as much as we possibly can. Thanks, Gav, and thank you to everyone who's sending questions. Um, I'm not sure if we've addressed them all, but I've I've, uh, tried my best to 